Hi, I'm Ollie Strong. I just enjoyed listening to the Northern Report. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to the Northern Report podcast. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on the Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Ollie Strong. Mr. Strong is a bona fide side player legend, an early pioneer of pedal steel guitar pickers here in Canada. And over the course of our chat, Ollie shared a great deal of stories from his impressive career while touching on the colorful cast of characters surrounding the country music scene he was such an important part of. I'm locked down still in isolation, recovering from the COVID, and I'm looking forward to hitting the road in a few weeks, filling in on the bass with Cor Blund and the Hurt and Albertans on the U.S. and Canadian legs of their Back to the Barrooms tour. Hope to run into some of you folks out there. And since we last talked here, the Honky Tonk Times has made issues available digitally. Find links, or even better, get your subscription and receive the magazine at your doorstep by visiting thehonkytonktimes.com. Though it's been a couple of months since a new episode of the podcast, my weekly radio program, Boots and Saddle, continues to air new episodes every Tuesday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central on CKUW 95.9 FM here in Winnipeg. You can stream the broadcast live and entirely for free on the TuneIn Radio app or follow, subscribe to Boots and Saddle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or go to the website, bootsandsaddle.ca. CKUW's annual fundraiser, Fun Drive, is just around the corner, and Boots and Saddle's Fun Drive shows will be airing February 15th and 22nd. And in addition to CKUW's offerings, We've got some very exciting show-specific incentive prizes for our donors this year. I'll be announcing those and the various pledge levels on the program next week, Tuesday, February 8th. That's all I got for you now. I want to thank you for tuning in, and let's welcome in legendary pedal steel guitar picker Ollie Strong to the Northern Report Podcast. Ollie Strong's career began in the 1950s, playing steel guitar in the era prior to the instrument having pedals. He was among the first small handful of pickers in Canada to begin playing the pedal steel guitar. Noted as an early member of the house band on CBC TV's Tommy Hunter show, over the course of his long career, Ollie also backed up legends such as Ray Price, Gene Shepard, and Jim Reeves. His playing is featured on albums by Canadian heroes like Gordon Lightfoot, Murray McLaughlin, and Dick Dameron, along with countless other lost Canadian country sessions on the ARC and Marathon Paragon labels by singers like Chef Adams, Brent Williams, Al Hooper, and Bill Long. He's even credited as the steel guitarist on Funkadelic's 1972 album, America Eats Its Young. And I sure wish that I had known that ahead of our conversation. He was very gracious with his time, prepared for the interview, made notes, and shared a lot of great stories. So without any further ado, here's my chat with Mr. Ollie Strong. Um, well, 
I think uh, I came I came across your name looking at the of course you know like uh, looking through the the credits of the old records and uh, most notably the Chef Adams albums uh, from the mid to late sixties. Uh huh. And uh, uh, my father was a picker, uh, and he ended up playing in a band for a little while with Chef's son Randy. And so I had always heard the name Chef Adams, and I didn't really put it together. My dad was did some time with Roy Payne. He was a, a really big fan of Mickey McGivern, and I think he played a little bit with Mark in the 70s. And uh, so I found these Chef Adams records, uh, Showstoppers, Chef, Chef Adams and Yvonne Terry, and uh, Singer-Songwriter from 1969, and uh, just... Uh, just really, really blown away by your playing and uh, the way you and Mickey played together. So just kind of wanted to touch on, on that sort of era. And uh, as I keep digging into these Paragon and Marathon records, it's, it's there's a big, big database of really good honky-tonk and country music from that era. And you were a big part of that. Um, yeah, and I, and I got the opportunity to work with a fair amount of them, uh, um, when I when I first started, I I think I, w- I was the only pedal steel in Toronto. Uh, there was another guy by the name of Tommy St. Dennis. Yeah. Who has passed on just a, c- a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Um, so, and, and I, w- I was, uh, I, I was doing a day, I was still working day jobs and things like that. Uh, I joined the union in 55 to play with Chef. Oh, and and I had I had been with a a group called the Humber Valley Ranch Boys in Edna, who I met in when I was about sixteen. Met a couple of guys, uh, Bill and Scotty, uh, and we we were three peas in a pod there for about two or three years before we got got good enough. With the fiddle player Scotty was was a very good fiddle player, and and the rest the, the rest of us just kind of struggled along for for the first short time and and we we would jam we would get together uh, to play music every wednesday after wednesday evening uh and that was our that was the beginning of it well we soon got good enough that we thought we could play a dance <laughs> <laughs> so we we went uh, right from the amateur end of the things and uh Eventually, we we got to be fairly fairly uh, fairly proficient. This is in the fifties. That that was in the mid fifties, and I joined the union in fifty five to play with Chef. <laughs> Were you from Toronto originally? Uh, I was born in Bolton, which is just on the outskirts of Toronto. Now it was it was a, a day's journey to go into the city at that time, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I bet. But, but it was it was about uh, about oh maybe. Uh, 45, 45 minutes at that time to get down to the clubs in Toronto, which I very seldom did. But we had a Sunday night. We used to do the Sunday night jamborees. Oh, okay. And there was a place called the Old Mill, which is on the west end of Toronto. And it was, it was well, at that time, you'd, you'd take an hour to get there. <laughs> Speed limit was 50 mile an hour, and then... <laughs> And then you didn't you didn't drive all that fast at that time. So b- by the time that you start playing with Chef in 1955, how long had you been playing the steel guitar? Because it is uh, really quite a, a lifelong journey to master that impossible instrument. I I, I met the uh, the Bill and Scotty in in I turned 16, so that'd be 51, and and I was playing a bit of electric guitar at that time. 
very 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 amateurs, but <laughs> but enough that that's what I played, and and I dawdled on fiddle a wee bit when I was younger on the farm, uh, but I wasn't proficient at that, at that at all. Uh, <clears throat> but we we within within the year, and I can't remember whether it was the first year or the second year, uh, we decided that we. We needed more sound in the band. My guitar playing wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't filling up the holes well enough. So somebody should get get a steal. Well, we could, we couldn't lose we couldn't lose the fiddle player. So I was and we couldn't leave. Uh, Bill was the lead singer and rhythm guitar player. So I was the only I was the only one that uh, was was okay to get get the steal and see what we could do with it. Wow. So uh, when I started, I was just writing down some of the names uh, that were were players at that time in the country field. There was there was a couple. Al Harris was a very fine guitar player, but he played Hawaiian like just just Hawaiian stuff. No pedals. Um, but there was, no no. This was prior to pedals. Pedals came in in, in about fifty three or four, I think, was slowly. Um, but I, I got a, I got a six stringer, then an eight stringer, and, and this all happened within two or three months. Uh, you'd find out that you couldn't get what you wanted on a uh, on one, so you got a better one, and then I got to eight strings, <laughs> then a double neck. So I, I progressed in in probably the two or three years uh, up to. I, I had the first pedalist that in the country thing. Now Al Harris played an auto harp, which, which is a, a Gibson uh, invention, and they had pedals, but they would, they it wasn't used as a country thing. It uh, it would change the whole chord. You could change all the strings with one pedal, and it's it's it it never was accepted in the country end, uh, but the the country pedals came in and. In about fifty three and fifty four, slowly I think was the first first big one that that uh, was used on. I got my first pedal from Shot Jackson, um, which wasn't a showbud. It was a, an old Fender that he had rigged up a pedal, and you could break strings faster than you could put them on. But but it it was a it was a pedal, uh, and I think I got that. I think I got that maybe in in about fifty six or fifty five. I don't think I had it when I went west, uh, but in that era. Um, so I so I had a, I had the pedal sound, uh, the very very beginning of the pedal sound, and and I, for some reason I I learned to uh, to play fairly simple and and. It it sounded it sounded okay. Well, you weren't not you weren't doing all the fancy stuff that the guys are doing these days. Uh, but I had a I, I could I could I got a few basic things down and and I could I could back up a singer. Uh, I was always always more into backing up a singer than I was playing instrumentals. I, I, I never spent the time to learn instrumentals. How did you connect with Chef Adams? Um, well, he he need or I I guess now that I think of it, 
there was a, there was uh, the Fred Roden's uh, store was on was down in on Queen and mm, down in the city somewhere and and uh, as as a a, a a budding musician you you want to go where you can hear somebody play eh and this would be a you could win on a Saturday afternoon and there'd be somebody sitting there playing and I guess I met Chef doing that and he he needed a he needed a, a steel player um if if there was one available um to go into the brass rail which was on young street uh just just south of uh bluer i guess uh so anyway i i met him some way that he he said but i had to be in the union so i went down and joined the union <laughs> and you got the gig, which broke up broke up the old band, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they were non non musician or non union musicians. So right into it was Chef. Like what 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 kind of was it? Six nights in in the taverns and the bars with him for the most part in that era. Uh, the only one I remember was was the Brass Rail, and and it was a two week thing. Uh, and I I don't know that I went with Chef after after that. Like I've known him for years and and played off and on with him, but I, I don't remember, like joining the band and becoming one of the band. Oh, okay. Except, just except for the two weeks. <laughs> what happened after that? <laughs> there's there's a blank in the memory, but but I I uh, I know I worked the horseshoe, uh, but I I think that was later on. But I, at least I got in in with the. Toronto musicians, and at that time I was doing a lot more uh, Sunday night shows. I don't recall sitting down and doing a lot of rehearsing, but uh, my my rehearsal was at that time the bars were closed at, at eleven thirty on Saturday night. So I'm doing my day job, whatever it was at the time, and I would. Uh, I would find out. I'd go go down to the horseshoe or, or one of the clubs, the country clubs, and find out where the party was after eleven thirty. And uh, and I would I would be there. Uh, well, I didn't have to pack up or anything. I just drove there, so I'd be there early, and I'd walk in and survey the room and say, "Well, there, there's a corner. I'll get back in the corner there." And and by twelve o'clock or quarter after twelve, the the singers would come in and they'd pass the guitar around and I'd sit and back up the the singers till till they weakened out and went home and then two or three o'clock in the morning we'd pack up and go home but that that was my practice and and I was just backing up the singer I didn't have to play any instrumentals instrumentals or something or take a break on something and uh, so I met I met a, a lot of the guys that were working uh, the guys and the girls that were working in the clubs. Uh, they knew I had a day job, and and I probably wasn't wasn't ready to go in the clubs at that stage of the game. So I, I would I would do a lot of Sunday night jamborees, and and I hooked up with a uh, a guy in in Hamilton that was doing a Friday and a Saturday night dance, and Dick Nolan in Toronto, Dick Nolan played the Horseshoe Tavern. And Fred Hussey played the uh, was it the Gladstone or 
a club in that same area. And this this uh, lady by the name of Ann Dunn um, picked up and bought into or bought um, the contract for a club and started an after hours club, the Matador Club. And it was owned by two or three other guys prior to that, and they just couldn't make a go of it. They were getting a few people, but they weren't making a go. So Ann bought it. She approached Dick and took him in on a percentage, I believe. And he hired Fred, who was working up the street at the other country club, and myself to play steel. So both Dick and Fred played rhythm guitar and sang and played bass. So they so Fred would start out playing bass and Dick would do the first twenty minutes or so and then they'd switch and and, and we'd do the the forty minutes or the hour or whatever it took and we'd play from uh well from an hour and a half after the club closed or an hour after the club. So on Saturday Friday night we'd start at uh, uh the clubs were open till till one. So we'd start at two till five and then on Saturday night we'd start at uh, at at one and go to four. And you've already done a, a show that evening prior to the after hours gig. They had done they had done that. And I I booked in with this Bernie Hughes in Hamilton. He wanted a steel player. I had met Bernie on uh on another gig on a television show. Uh but but we he run the dance at the jockey club on Saturday night. Uh, Friday and Saturday night. So I would go to Hamilton uh, for nine nine o'clock till or eight o'clock, whatever it was, uh, and and I would pack up about ten minutes prior to the end of it, so I uh, I could get out of the place with it before the crowd started going out, and I'd boot it back and play the after hours till five o'clock in the morning. That was my practicing. There's no way to compete with that, like uh, the the on on the stage, like on the job learning. Well, yeah, and and. Uh, you you kind of develop uh, now. I've, I've lost some of that. You develop the the habit of of playing within yourself. I call it uh, not not going out and trying things. Uh, you play very careful. Yeah, you're you're more there to make it sound right as opposed to uh, impress somebody with some lick that you're going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, was was Roy Penny playing guitar for Dick Nolan in those days? Yeah, you, yeah, you um, must have played with him too. Uh, yeah, I worked with Roy several times, and then, but see, he was working every night, and I, I had, a, I still had my day job, so I was, I, I, I wasn't ready to depend on the music, unless, unless I got something that sounded pretty good, then I would quit my day job, and do the gig, and then when it was done, I had to go find another day job, so I. I I did that. I worked at Avril Aircraft for uh, twice, um, uh, at different times. Uh, in, in between, I got a chance to do the, the the music, so just walk walk away from Avril, and and uh, go play the gig, and then come back, and then put the application in for another job. Um, 
and, and in between, I, I worked other gigs too. It wasn't ever just, just Avril. Did you ever uh, ha- like quit the day job for a long stretch through the '60s or '70s? Well, uh, getting back to, uh, I suppose that was in the in the the late the late '50s, maybe when I worked at Avril first, because I got I done a gig in. Um, I done a gig in uh, in Montreal with a guy by the name of Slim Mason. Now, I don't I don't know whether Slim ever recorded anything or not, but he was he was working the horseshoe. Um, Wally Dean, do you know that name? No, I don't. Okay, he was a fiddle player, uh, and I went to Montreal with with them for a two week contract. So that, it was in between gigs, you know, in between day jobs. Um, and I, I met my second wife there. Uh, I found this record uh, with you and Kenny Hepburn, Sleepwalk, with Ollie Strong and Kenny Hepburn from 1959. Can you tell me about that one? Well, it was recorded in 60. Okay. It was recorded in 60 and, and released then. Um, Arc, Arc Sound, um, which which is the, the label, I can't remember, Anderson, Phil Anderson, I believe his name was, he came up with the idea of of putting putting a record uh, a, a long play record in the stores on consignment. Um, he put out eight first, and I was on the second eight, and that was when Sleepwalk was a was on the go and, and uh, a hit for Santo and Johnny. Johnny. And uh, he approached me to to do a a CD or uh, a CD, an album with with, and he would he would have Kenny Kenny do play with me. So I I figured it was a it was going to be a guitar and steel. Yeah, <laughs> I I get into this because Kenny Kenny had put out a, a couple of Dwayne Eddy things oh, okay. either before or after. But he's uh, he's he's got a couple of Dwayne Eddy type guitar things on, so I've and I had never played with him. I never met him up until the day we recorded the thing. Wow! So we we had a bass player uh, that I played with a fair amount, Billy Gibbs. Uh, so we we knew our stuff uh, that I would be playing, and he was quick enough. He he if I played something else, he he just flowed right in. Never never knew the drummer before. Um, so we go into this, this, uh, this, uh, um, empty, 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 uh, uh, plant, like, uh, probably about, uh, 200 feet long and, and, uh, and 150 feet deep, you know, like just an empty, empty warehouse type of thing with a little room. And he's got his recorder in the, in the, in the closet type of thing. And, and and one mic sitting out in, in the middle of us. Wow! And just <laughs> and, go for it. And and just sat there and played it. And that's when I found out. Hey, I I got to come up with uh, with a dozen inst- or ten, ten or twelve or whatever's on it uh, instrumentals, and played the whole thing. <laughs> Kenny Kenny just played rhythm. Oh wow! Okay. So there's not there's not a guitar lick on it at all. Hence, hence, uh, going up the road or some, some one called going up the road or something like that. 
uh, we didn't know what to play, so we just come up one. Didn't have a name or anything, but that's all we play. Uh, that's what we came. That we wrote it on the spot. <laughs> so where did they? Where did they end up? Like where would these? Those that record have been for sale? Oh, it was I. Uh, after after that, I, I became known or known about Arc Sound, and and in between jobs, I needed some work. So they said, "Well, hey." Come on in here. We got some records to ship out. I went in, and they had a they had about a six foot square elevator, and and I filled that three times in the day of where these these records were being sent to, five in a pack. So so I think there was ten in the shipment. Going to all the local stores. Right across Canada. Oh wow! So they had some good distribution nationally. Arc did. Well, they they would they would put them in gas stations, uh, drug stores, any place that there was kids to buy it. Oh. His theory was, hey, you can spend five dollars and buy a, a Johnny Cash record, or you can buy, you can spend everything was two dollars. <laughs> yeah. Dollar ninety nine. Was so two dollars. The kid. Could get two two uh, two records for for the for his five dollars. Mm-hmm. So they they as I understood, they didn't they didn't really sell an awful lot in the big cities, but they were in every little every little drugstore, every place there was a, a spot that he could set set this display up. That's an interesting right model. Across Canada, and that was that was only a couple of days that I worked there. <laughs> okay. Like like just magnificent distribution, and mostly sort of Toronto bands, all the all the local acts from town there getting a sniff yeah, in yeah, the studio. Yeah, like uh, June and George Pasha recorded the Kitty Wells saying uh, he would pick out who who done whatever whatever artist they were going to copy. Right, and and you'd, you'd go in and you just record it and. Uh, away they went. <laughs> well, a few years later is when I uh, I first I, I see this record with Chef and Yvonne Terry, Showstoppers. I think it's uh, 1965, also on Arc Records. Uh, and uh, yeah. Mickey and Mark are on that one with you. Okay. Uh, were you, so you, was that the same kind of thing? Like you guys weren't a steady band; you were just there for the session. Just there for the session. Yeah. That's I, I worked. I worked. Yeah, I worked uh, occasionally with Mickey. <laughs> enough, enough. I, I enjoyed Mickey's guitar playing, uh-huh. and he was easy to work with. And uh, I, I would say Mickey, Mickey trained more musicians out of Toronto than than anybody else. He he was just a, a bugger to work for, you know. Like yeah, <laughs> I, I I heard that, uh, and you can probably confirm this. That he would, he, they would do their show like their six nights a week, and after the gig, they would go back to Mickey's house and rehearse all night until like six in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That was, uh, and and I, I also heard that he had his he had his his house wired, that he could record everything that was, uh, you know. <laughs> Not not only musically, but everything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so he he, <laughs> he was, he was a bit of, uh, Johnny Paycheck came to Toronto to to the Edison. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is a few years back, and and uh, of course Mickey is the house band. They were the house band at the Edison. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, 
and and paycheck come in uh, with with a new ma- new management company. Uh, Mickey uh, uh, paycheck was famous for doing the first two nights and then getting hammered or or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, and not being able to uh, to finish the gig. Yeah. And 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 just creating problems with with the, the the club he was working, so this new management t- took over, and the deal was uh, that they would send the the money to them, and they would give paycheck like hundred dollars a week to live on, or two hundred whatever it was, and and cover the bills. Mm-hmm. But but they were going to control paycheck. Well, that lasted until he got to Toronto. <laughs> so he got Mick. with me. And it went to pot. <laughs> oh, man. So so Mickey would, would have a, a vocalist, and he would just be the band leader? Yep. And so yep. They, they're the house band, and then when they bring in the American acts, uh, you know, they open up or whatever, and then they back up the, the famous singer. Yep. yep. And the Edison was, was one of the better better rooms at that time? Um, the Edison and the Horseshoe were the two country clubs that done that type of thing. Okay. Um, um, I was involved in, in the Horseshoe at one point. Uh, the, the two names I remember backing up was Jeannie Shepard and Marvin Rainwater. Wow. You know, you're the, they're the third person that I've talked to this last month that got a chance to play with Jean Shepard. And I'm such a great fan of her records from that era. The, her late fifties records are just some of my favorite country music records. Yeah. Yeah, my, that's that's my wife's favorite. Too. I love that sound, and uh, she had a real sound to 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 the you know with the band and her own her own voice. So I guess so. At this time, you're not with a steady band for a long time. You're you're kind of just jobbing around here and there, or did you find a, a steady sort of gig for a longer stretch of time? Well, um, uh, I I look back on my 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 history and things that I've done. I've done for like six years at a time or eight years at a time. Oh, that's good. Um, however, uh, I got the Hunter Show in in '62 because that's when I was in Montreal, and I remember Ray saying, uh, "Raise my wife here." Oh yeah, and and uh, my second wife, <laughs> the second wife that became number one. Yeah. That's a good line. <laughs> yeah, she's 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 sitting there beside me. <laughs> um, so in '62, uh, and we'll go back a year year or two. Uh, I think I had I got a contract to do a, a television show out of Hamilton, the Bill Long Show. It it was replacing Saturday Night Jamboree with Jack Kingston. Uh, it was a, a weekly television show, half-hour show, and uh, Bill came. Bill was going to get the show, and he came to Toronto to audition Tommy Tommy uh, Saint Denis to play Steel. So I I had heard about this, and and Tommy was playing the Horseshoe with June and George Pasher, and so I I went down to the to the Horseshoe. And I went to Tommy. I said, uh, "I said, uh, uh, you know, Bill's in kind of auditioning you for for the television show, uh, like a, a good break, eh? Are you are you going to 
you going to do it? And he said, ah, I think I'd rather stay with June and George. Oh. I said, well, if, if you don't mind, then uh, do you mind if I talk to Bill and 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 see if see if I want uh, you know if it's open? So uh, so I I did the television show in Hamilton. Um, I think I did it for about three years, which would have taken it up to to sixty. 62 two or three and uh, I think there's uh, there's other possibilities but one of the one of the key things was that uh, doing television in this market in Toronto and uh, Toronto and Hamilton it's definitely union and you're not allowed to be on two contracts at once okay okay mm. so uh, there's other reports that somebody reported me uh, that I was was working in an, out of out of the union, you know, the local. Anyway, um, so I had to quit the uh, I had to quit the Hamilton show. But even with the Hamilton show, like that was only that was only a one day a week, I, one night a week, I think, or one day a week. Um, I, I was staying clear of the clubs. Like I, I never worked very much club work. Okay. Okay. On a steady basis, or or for very long. Uh, but I, uh, even with the day jobs and and the and being available, um, I got a lot of the Sunday night jamborees and and one nighter things. Uh, but I never got into the the wild side of life. But I was around it all the time. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah. So then you end up getting the the gig with Tommy Hunter. Uh, about in '62, the fall of '62, I started the Hunter Show. Well, then, then what happened financially, and and that's uh, at that stage of your game, you're 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 depending on <laughs> making a living some way. By this time, by this time, I have two daughters uh, and a first wife. Uh, and just, I guess I bought a house and wondered how I was going to pay for it. I just started a job with uh, a steel company, and they were going to put me through <clears throat> all departments of, the, of the, the company to learn it and then be a salesman. Okay. And I come home one day, and there's a phone call from a, from a guy from the CBC and wanting to know if I was interested in doing the Country Hoedown show. <laughs> <laughs> so I went. I went from uh, make make uh, playing on the weekends and doing the odd gigs, and and getting something like uh, maybe I think it was ninety dollars. No, that was my first job. Ninety dollars a month. I can't remember what I was paying, getting paid. However, I, I had no no thoughts in the world of of doing a CBC show, of doing uh, you know a country show. That was. That wasn't even that wasn't even in my mind. And that was on TV already uh, by '62. Tommy was on television. No, that was Country Hoedown Show with Gordy Tapp and and the Ames. And Tommy was was the country singer oh, and okay. Tommy Common. So I done the last three years of it, and Tommy's show started in '65, and I went with Tommy at that point. And you guys are on TV once a week. Yep. So, what's that gig like? Are are you are you in the studio with those guys every day, getting the show prepared ahead of time for for broadcast? No, we had uh, when we first started, 
When we first started, I think it was only one day a week. Oh, okay. Uh, eventually, I got my own contract for for five hundred dollars a week. It was uh, that's basic. And then, if with the, with the union deal, if you moved if you moved off the stage, you were given another fifty percent. If you needed makeup, you got another little percentage. If you were featured for any more than a, an eight bar uh, an eight bar break and you played another instrument you got another 50 percent i was i was coming home with i was coming home after the 15 percent taxes off the top i was coming home with six or seven or eight hundred dollars a week that's excellent money uh, even today that's good musician money well my my buddies who who i i i, I never considered i was the best best musician but but uh, i i had i had to accept it uh, my buddies are working the bars uh for maybe anywhere from 100 to 100 and a quarter a week six nights a week and a matinee for for that money yeah yeah and you're yeah. doing one one day so i'm i'm <laughs> i soon realized that i i better be playing more than i am you can't mm-hmm. you can't your fingers just won't stay in shape so I I booked this this gig in Hamilton, from from uh, you know from uh, uh, eight o'clock till nine, and then beat it back and do another three hours at, at the Matador Club. The one in the one in Hamilton, I think, I think paid me fifty or sixty dollars or something, and the Matador paid me fifteen dollars when I first started. I got a raise up to twenty dollars eventually. <laughs> for the, <laughs> wow! For for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but I needed the playing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just you, t- television is is a uh, is fine. You're you you're smiling all the time. You're supposed to be smiling anyway, <clears throat> and everybody thinks it's such a a, a wonderful thing, but. Uh, you, in 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 the eight hour day when eventually it was an eight hour day, uh, and then then you come in for about six hours for the filming of it. In the eight hours, I might be if if you recorded if you recorded eight hours, and you're you're playing the first verse, you're back in the first verse and the and the second chorus or something. I might I might play for two two hours at in those eight hours. Yeah, yeah. And then and on the the day of the show, it was live when we first started, but uh, it got that it was it was taped and rehearsed and all that. Uh, and and they'd put the music in front of you, and you you would maybe have three times through before you recorded it wow okay so you're on your toes like only once once through to, re- to record and then you you might have a third crack at it <laughs> <laughs> in most cases you had the second crack are, are you working the day job while you're doing the hunter show no no, no. that finished the day jobs oh yeah because yeah you guys well, yeah, when you i got that dough. so any any uh memorable people that you got the chance to back up on the hunter show in that era it uh, that between between the the television show and the Sunday night jamborees, the people of that era, I met a lot of them and backed them backed a lot of them up. Yeah, I bet. And they occasionally, like uh, 
Haggard came in. Uh, Haggard brought his band in. I don't think Haggard, uh, when I was there, didn't, I don't think he worked at Hunter's show. But through that, we played the exhibition, and we were the kind of the local band. Uh, Tommy, Tommy done a, a forty-five minutes stand in front of the in front of Haggard. Okay. But uh, um, the biggest thrill was was Price. I got the back up Price. Wow. Uh, and and when he came in, um, he's in on the rehearsal. And the piano player was his manager. He passed out the music, and he came by me, and and he had already heard me playing for. But he says, uh, he says, uh, we don't normally have uh, steel players that can read any anyway. Um, so uh, I've I've listened to you play. Uh, just just carry on when Ray comes in. Uh, don't be don't be offended if. He doesn't want you to play uh, because uh, you, you've, you, you've got the guitar part and, and the and the and the string section. So so he done he done crazy arms, uh, and that's the one I remember. I said, I, said I, I can't hardly believe that I I can't play behind crazy arms." He said, "Well, just just uh, carry on, and uh, and and I'll speak to Ray and." Uh, and, and don't be don't be offended if if he decides not to use you. So I, I said that's fine with me. But he left me in, and, and uh, I, the piano player came to me later and he says, uh, "Do you ever think of moving to Nashville?" He says, "We got very few steel players that can work with the fiddle section like you do." Wow, that's well. Wild. Well, I've, I've been doing this for fifteen years or two, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I got so that I I could I'm sitting probably 60 70 feet away from the string section and they've got all their written charts and i got that i could play against them i wouldn't be playing the same thing as they're playing but i would fit what i'm playing in in around what what they're going i got so i could anticipate where they were going yeah yeah so so i i <laughs> i was pretty uh, pretty honored at that hearing that from him, I bet. I mean, uh, to me, there's no no better singer ever than Ray Price. Yeah. Well, I, I got to play with a few of them. As I say, Marvin Rainwater was was a thrill, <laughs> and and like you think, geez, he's a star. Eh? Uh, oh God, I I got to play with him. So, so I'm 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 doing my thing of backing up backing up the best I can and yeah. and not covering him up, getting in the way. So he came to me after the first second show he says, says, says you know I, I don't sing some of those notes very good you better play a little louder <laughs> <laughs> play a little more <laughs> dig in a little harder um, I got I got another another thing I'll, I'll just run this briefly I was working with this is this is in the late 50s prior to the television show I'm working with a local band called Chuck Fortune and the Chuck Wagon Ramblers couldn't think of it earlier um when I joined, uh, they were working a, a Saturday night dance in Brampton, Junior Farmer Hall. I come up through the Junior Farmers, so I knew the hall. And I, I hear that he's he's looking for a square dance caller. Well, I knew about six square dances that I could call, so I approached him see if I could if if I could uh, call square dance, and I think I was going to get fifteen dollars for it or something like that. 
So I said, well, uh, like I'm, I'm a steel player, can I bring you a steel in and set in with you <laughs> to play the night? <laughs> <laughs> he thought he'd died and gone to heaven. Yeah. They, they got five, five, five guys in the band, five guitar players, rhythm guitar players. Oh, boy. Shouldn't say that. He played, he played a little bit of electric guitar and a little bit of fiddle. Not very good on either one of them, <laughs> but but there was no background, no breaks, no nothing. Wow! So all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> the band started. So anyway, a couple of years later, now we've got another guitar player, and and it, hey, the band, one of the guys takes over bass, another guy plays drums. So so we're 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 coming out sounding a little more like a band. So we're tied in with a. One of the girls that used to sing, her boyfriend was a promoter and booked the Palace Pier. Do you remember that one? No. Okay, it's a big, big uh, um, dance hall convention center on the west end, right at the Humber Ridge River at the west end of Toronto. All right, okay. Okay. It'll hold, it's got a dance floor in the bottom, and then there's two layers of cables up on each side. So it'll, it'll hold probably 2,000 people in there if you want. Just a house system. No, no <laughs> PA. Got a chance to work with uh, Jim Reeves there. And oh, back wow. Him. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He came in. One of the other gigs that, that he booked was uh, Johnny Cash, and there was a couple of young kids that were starting out, and you could get them for next to nothing. And, and Cash was in between hits type of thing, so they got them for a pretty good price. Uh, a couple of kids called the Everly Brothers. Oh, boy. <laughs> so six or eight weeks later, when the gig was coming up, Cash had Teenage Queen, number one, mm-hmm. and Everly Brothers had Bye Bye Love number one or two or whatever it was. Yeah. So we had, we, there was nothing but a sea of heads from there to the back end. And you backed them up too? We didn't, we didn't back them up. We opened that. No, we didn't, we didn't back them. They had, they had their own thing. Wow. So, so through, through the sixties and when you're on the Hunter show, you're still getting calls to do studio sessions? In, in 70, Seventy-three, four, or five—I can't remember. I just about lived in the studio. Yeah. In in the recording studios, you'd go from one to the other, um, and and most of it, most of it was just uh, going in and playing in front of the track. Oh, so okay. You're just overdubbing what whatever's there. Yeah. Um, uh, Murray McLaughlin, uh, the blind blind man's blind. The drunken. The drunken. The song about the drunken child. Why does Daddy drink so much? He's singing it to me. Um, that, but that that was that was a live that was a live thing. And uh, Gordon Lightfoot was on uh, the country show, country hoedown show in the six, 62 when I started. He was he was in the background singers and and the and the dancers singing swinging eight. Oh really? Uh, so I knew I knew Gordy before he was Gordon. <laughs> sure, yeah, because you're you're on a record of his uh, old Dan's records in 1972. I I was doing uh, I, yeah I was doing the the Hunter show at the time, uh, but he had never used steel 
on on a, a record before that. Um, so I, I so he asked me if I'd play, and, and um, you know it was it was probably the best best session that I ever worked. In in that he he had full control of it. There was no pressure. Uh, he he paid us top dollar for it, uh, even the rehearsal, but but uh, he booked RCA for the week, RCA Studios on Mutual Street, and and uh, we would start at seven o'clock, um, and we would go no later than maybe one thirty or two, and we would do usually two songs a night. Uh, I think maybe a couple of times we did uh, maybe three, but we wouldn't start a second, a third song if we were, you know, after after one thirty. But if we had the first one, we done it right off the floor. Oh, cool! That whole record uh, is like that. The whole record, and and we've got. Um, the the one I'm featured on a little bit was uh, "You Are What I Am." Yep. Okay. When we recorded it, we've got Gordy playing chunk you know, eighth notes. Yeah. We've got a piano doing eighth notes. We've got two guitars doing eighth notes. We've got a five string banjo. We've got a drummer doing eighth notes. Uh, everything like it's, and and when we're doing the sound check. It was the first thing we'd done that night. And and they, they checked all the instruments, come to the steel, all they play something. I said, there's no room. <laughs> <laughs> Got a chuckle. Yeah. Uh, Gord says, well, just play goose eggs. Goose eggs are whole notes, eh? Yeah, yeah. So so I'm I'm just doing these goose eggs sliding into the chords. When when it was all done, yeah, it, it's just a, a, whirl of, a whirl of eighth notes. Yeah, everybody playing. <laughs> uh, when they it was mixed, the whole thing was mixed in California, apparently. And uh, the producer who was doing the mixing down there said, "We don't need that. We got to get rid of all that." Took it all out, just led left Red Shea and myself in it, <laughs> <laughs> and and, well, the, and the rhythm section. It's a it's a really nice record, and and your playing on that album is much different than on the Chef Adams records, where you're you're kind of digging in and picking a little harder. On the Lightfoot record, it's really nice, complimentary steel guitar, like you know folk rock kind of steel guitar, and uh, I think that's really good contrast, you know, uh, from from the honky tonk records. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's what the guy heard in California. Like, uh, had I known I was going to be featured, I'd have probably played or tried something different or played a little bit more licks or whatever. What can you tell me about Paragon and Marathon and how that worked? Were you just getting the call because you were a, a, the local steel player to, to be on these sessions? Uh, I would imagine. I'd, uh, in some of those, I don't remember. Oh, okay. At one point, I, I was as busy as anybody, and, and you just go in and uh, pack up and go home. You, 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 done uh, for Gary Buck now uh, Gary uh, Gary got into producing things that would be in the in around the early 70s maybe uh, and I, I was playing rhythm guitar in a bunch of bunch of guys Al Briscoe was playing steel Al played with Gary a, a bit so uh, and Johnny Arpin if, if you know that name he one of the classiest 
pianists. And, <laughs> and here he is sitting in a country recording session. Who were your uh, your favorite steel players around around the scene back then? Other guys that were were at it like you. Okay, when I started, of course, there was no pedals. Yep. And I I managed to write down a few names. Oh, great. Lloyd Banks played the Saturday Night Jamboree, the Bill Longshore of Hamilton, prior to the Bill Longshore. Okay. It was it was a Saturday night uh, half hour television show, so that was Lloyd Banks. Uh, Billy Jones played in a nightclub, which I was not. I, I don't think I ever went to see him in the nightclub. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Wendy Wingrove played with the Hillbilly Jewels. Isn't that a good country name? That's a great name, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, they, I could pick them up on radio every now and again. Okay. There was a guy by the name of Smiley Don Thompson who played with the Calgary Range Riders. Uh, Dixie Bill Hilton was the leader of the band, and I met him several times in Calgary later on when we were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they would they would do they would do a few months in Calgary out of Calgary, and then they would come to Barrie. Oh, and uh, or Aurelia they they worked out of, and uh, they would do a radio thing in out of Aurelia, and I could pick them up, and I got to go see them once in a while. Uh, Jack Mooney played uh, the country O-Down before I joined them. Uh, but these were all non non pedal players. Okay, yeah. Billy Jones and Donnie Thompson uh, did pr- progress to pedals, but they they could play so darn good without the pedals. Mm, yeah. And and pedals was pedals was a different understanding of music, different understanding. Uh, uh, a, a, guy, a young fellow by the name of Bobby Lucier. Ah, I was going to ask you about Bob, because he, he kind of okay. came after you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was doing the Hunter Show by that time, and and uh, at one of these all-night parties on a Saturday night, this young kid came and, and laid on the floor in front of me. I was parked, I was set up in in the corner, almost out of the room, but but there was a walkway into the laundry room or something. And uh, Bobby was a kid, and he, he laid on the floor <laughs> watching what I was doing. No way. <clears throat> and he says, do you ever have this thing set up at home? Could I come over and try it? He was working for a Firestone, I think, or a tire company anyway. Okay. But not not on not working on the tires. I think he was doing some uh, paperwork or office work or something. Anyway, he came over a couple of times, and uh, we finally wound up ordering ordering him a guitar. And he would he would get up at uh, seven o'clock, sit on his guitar till ten to eight, uh, take take his uh, go to work uh, at at a quarter quarter to twelve or so. He would uh, uh, have his lunch at twelve o'clock. He'd go home five two or three minutes away, five minutes away. Play guitar till five to one. Come back, uh, work till work till four, uh, four or five or whatever. Go pick up his girl from school, uh, who eventually became his wife. Yeah, and uh, spend a couple hours with with uh, with her, 
uh, she had to had to be in at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever. Come back and play guitar till eleven o'clock and go to sleep. Do the same thing tomorrow. Wow! And this is when he's getting started out. That's that's when he 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 wasn't playing anywhere. Right. So I I was working the Hamilton gig at that time, and and I had to I had to leave for some reason. I can't remember what it was now, but they Bernie says uh, you know you know anybody would. I could get to to fill in for you, you know, to replace you. And I said, "Well, there's a young kid that's just starting." Uh, he said, "I said he he plays fairly in tune, and he uh, he's just learning." And and Bernie had a fiddle and a guitar, so uh, there was no pressure on how much he had to play. Right. So he sat in there, and and uh, I think he he lasted. Uh, uh, six months or something, and then the same thing happened in an all-night thing in Toronto. By this time, Bob had, I don't know, I guess that's when Bob had finished, quit his day job, uh, because this was an all-night, uh, an all-weeker. Right. And and even then, he would play from nine to, nine to one. Um, the club would close down, the caretakers sweeping up the floor, Bob would get a beer, sit there till the place was empty. Then he'd go to the stage and and play his record, uh, play the record he was he was trying to copy. And he'd be there till four four o'clock or so, go home. He might have been there till seven o'clock and 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 picked up his girl, took her to school. <laughs> wow! So did did he do the hunter gig after you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did he take over for you? Uh, he he started uh, in seventy five, and we split the contract. Uh, uh, he he would do he would do the recording and I would do the live. Oh, okay. Thing for the for uh, uh, for three years, and then then he then he done the, he done the whole thing after that. But you you were getting a lot of calls to to play on the Paragon Records sessions as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was uh, I think Tommy Tommy would have been on on June and George's. And and maybe some others. I, I'm not sure. Then Buddy came on the scene. I think Bobby done done some. Uh, they 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 would just they would just decide who they were going to record and and then pick somebody that they thought would work fine. And and you'd go in and you would you might not know who, what they were going to record or anything. You'd. Uh, and then the, uh, maybe the odd one they they let you know ahead of time that you could you could hear a little bit of stuff that that they were going to copy, like you know, type of songs they were going to do. But it was it was nothing nothing that you had to do note for note. Okay. Um, and how about there's a fella? Uh, I've got a record of Mickey and Billy Adams. Do you remember Billy Adams? Billy Billy was in the Edison. Now I, I don't know whether where Eddie where uh, Billy Billy came from. I think he came from down uh, east but, somewhere originally. Yeah, and, and I don't know I don't know his history prior to the Edison or uh, even after the Edison. So he was like a, a, a house band at the Edison, or he he was Mickey's singer or something. Uh, he was he was in that he was in that house band yeah okay okay was there a steel player in that outfit uh, yeah who would, who was playing steel I I know I sat in it might have been Buddy Cage that sounds about right actually 
Yeah. Better than Buddy Cage. Uh, Buddy Buddy came. I was I was doing a thing thing at the Kingsway Center Entertainment Center, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and somebody was doing a. They opened up a Sunday night jamboree, and I got to play that. And uh, Buddy was just a beginner, and his teacher was Ken Near. Okay. Ken Ken worked for the. Ontario Conservatory, and uh, Ken talked them into a steel guitar program. Oh, that's cool! But when I was when I was working, I'd I'd work the club Kingsway, and we'd be done at at eleven o'clock, I guess, and about about quarter two or twenty two or ten two when the when they quit charging you to come in mm-hmm. <laughs> at the door, <laughs> yeah, in would wander Ken and Buddy. Oh, okay. Now, Buddy, Buddy would probably be—I uh, I don't know whether he was out of his teens or not. Yeah, he was a young, young guy. Yeah, he was very young and young-looking. He yeah. looked to be about fourteen. <laughs> but he was getting pretty handy on the guitar. Yeah, and and he wound up doing he 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 wound up doing a fair amount with Ark. Ollie, I've I've taken up uh, a lot of your time here today. I, I want to thank you very much for for uh, indulging me here and and telling me these stories. Well, I, I don't get a chance to talk my ear off. My wife sat here beside me and hasn't said hardly anything. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ollie Strong. Big thanks to Mr. Strong for taking the time to share some stories from his great career with us. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the folks that I've covered on the podcast as well as in the Hockey Talk Times column. Remember to subscribe, like, follow, share, tell a friend, leave a rating for the Northern Report. It goes a long way for the podcast and I certainly appreciate you taking the moment to do so. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots. Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends, to regional stars, to the cream of the Canadian crop. You're going to find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Hey, you got anything for us? Yeah, now here I sit, unsure if I'm all alone or is it only me?